Welcome to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. We're here to demystify wellness and help you add a little adventure to your life. Tune in for a new episode every week where we'll hear from incredible guests and talk about ways to be happier and healthier in our new normal. I'm your host, Valerie Moses. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 146 of the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. Whether you're brand new here or a longtime listener, I'm so glad that you've joined us today. This show is all about creating our best lives through small and actionable steps. And I'm proud to bring on so many amazing experts to share their stories and insights with us. Today's guest is Kathy Elkind, author of the new book, To Walk It Is To See It. In her late 50s, Kathy and her husband took what they call an adult gap year and embarked on a grand adventure, hiking 1,400 miles across Europe's GR5. Kathy shares how they prepared for this adventure and what the journey looked like. In our conversation, we discuss the power of self-compassion and how it ties into a trip like this, how to navigate this type of trip as a couple, advice for those new to hiking, what to pack for a long distance trek, and so much more. You're really gonna love this one. It is such a unique story, and she has an amazing book that will accompany it as well. Our sponsor for today's episode is Vivu. Vivu is an at-home wellness tracker that gives you personalized recommendations based on your hydration, ketones, pH levels, white blood cells, liver and kidney function, and more. They've also added some new parameters to the app, like oxidative stress and magnesium. How it works, you'll download the free Vivu app, pee on one of the sticks provided, and scan it into the app to receive your tips based on health goals, dietary preferences, and more. The advice is really tailored to our individual needs, so if you include in your profile that you're gluten-free, the app will never tell you to consume gluten. If you want to get into ketosis, the app will notate that and change up your parameters accordingly. It's such a cool tracker, and we actually had Vivu's founder, Mirai Typhoon, on episode 26 of the show if you'd like to learn more. If you want to try Vivu for yourself, listeners get 20% off your purchase with code VALERIE20. That's V-A-L-E-R-I-E 20. And I've linked everything in the show notes as well. All right, my friends. Now let's get into this week's conversation with Kathy Elkind. Hi, Kathy. Welcome to Wellness and Wanderlust. Hi, Valerie. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. Well, I'm so excited to have you on the show. You have had such an amazing journey, and it really is such a combination of that wellness and wanderlust that we talk about on the show. So I'm very, very excited to get into your story. Before we do that, why don't we take it back a little bit and tell our listeners just a little bit about you? Well, let's see. Uh, I'm a long-distance walker now. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm 63 years old, and I'm very proud of my age, uh, which I didn't used to be, but I am now. Um, I just finished writing my first book, To Walk It Is to See It. So that's really exciting. And over the years, I've been a baker, an elementary school teacher, a reading tutor. Um, I had my own business called Elkind Nourishment, and I was an eating psychology coach. As, as an eating psychology coach, I owned my business, Elkind Nourishment, but I don't do that anymore. And I also have been a teacher of mindful self-compassion. And I have two adult children, and so I'm still a mom. So I've done many, many things in my life. 
Well, that's amazing. And I can't wait to really dive in a little bit further into the long distance walking because I think that is so, so cool. I'm a very short distance walker, but I do love my walks. And I was really inspired by your story. And just knowing a little bit more of your background, I think definitely have some more questions for you about how some of those things played into your journey. But you became a long distance walker recently. And you wrote about that experience in your book that has just come out. Tell us a little bit about that trip that you took and what inspired you to take that journey. Well, what inspired, uh, I so I walked with my husband and my husband and I back in 2018 had been married for 27 years and our kids who had left the nest and we had, were moving from Massachusetts up to Vermont. And before we settled into a new community, we decided to take a gap year, just the way the, ki- the way kids take gap years. And it didn't end up being a whole year. And we, I had always personally wanted to do a grand adventure like the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail. But in my late 50s, at 57, I didn't really want to carry a heavy backpack anymore. And I didn't want to really camp that much. I don't mind going for a few days, but I really, the Pacific Crest Trail and the Appalachian Trail just seemed too much for me at that point. And my husband would have been happy to do anything. He's pretty hardcore. So we had to find a middle ground where we would both be happy. And we looked, we kept asking people, what, what have you done? You know, what's some cool adventures? So we asked lots and lots of people. And we had met this French man, a Frenchman who had traveled all over the world and was really into adventure. And he talked about the GR5. And I had never heard of the GR5. And it stands for Grand Randonnée Sink, the fifth five one. There, in Europe, there are many Grand Randonnées, which means Grand Walk. So I actually Googled it. He had walked across the Alps. When I Googled GR5, what came up was a walk from the Netherlands, Hook van Holland in the Netherlands, through Belgium, Luxembourg, and the whole length of France. And I'm like, well, let's do that. That sounds like a great, great trip. And I read as many books and blogs as I could, and guidebooks. And Jim, actually, Jim was a little, he wasn't sure he really wanted to do it. Uh, he, he wasn't sure if it was going to be hardcore enough for him. We found out that it's very, well, the Netherlands obviously are very flat with the canals and it's just flat area. And I was a little worried he was going to get bored. So we decided to bike the first week, which would have been three weeks of walking. So we biked the first week down to Spa, Belgium, and then we walked the rest of the way. <laughs> so that was how, what we did. <laughs> That's so, so amazing. And this trip is 1,400 miles as well. And how do you prepare for something like that? Had you been doing semi-long walks before that or hikes or anything like that? Or what does the preparation look like for a trip like that? So I had always been a runner, but kind of near menopause, I just stopped running for a while and just walked, which, you know, so I love walking, but it was like an hour walk, not super long. And as we, when we moved up to Vermont, I, when we started to get ready for the trip, I, um, for, let's see, January and February. So I walked in the cold for up to about four hours on the dirt roads. And it was a great way to get to know 
this new place that we had moved to, starting to walk in the Green Mountains. And Jim skied and skinned. I don't know if you know what skinning is. It's like climbing up a mountain with um, your skis on and you have these skins. And so he got an exercise by climbing up the mountains and skiing down. And I just walked. And then we actually decided to go to Southern Italy beforehand for six weeks. And we just, we did day walks. So we got used to, you know, the slower life of living in Europe and eating a little bit later and got used to um, the Euro and things like that. And, and just in, enjoyed, enjoyed our time. So lots of day hikes in um, Sicily. And then we took took a flight up to the Netherlands and and started. Wow. I mean, that is so cool. And it really is, you know, when you talk about grand adventure, I mean, the title of your book, To Walk It Is To See It, I mean, that really is so true. And you are getting such a unique perspective of several countries and different cultures and people and ways of life. And I'd love to know what those 98 days looked like for you. I'm sure they had the the highs and the lows. Yeah. Well, the really unique thing about the GR5 is that does start flat. And then in you go through the Ardennes, which are smaller mountains, very small mountains in Belgium, and then rolling hills in Luxembourg and northern France. And then eventually you get to the Jura for two weeks, or the Vosges first for two weeks, then the Jura, and finally the Alps. So it builds and builds and builds. And you get you know, you get stronger and stronger. I got stronger and stronger as it as it went along. But an average day, you know, we'd wake up, we were staying in very small hotels, or um, they're called gites, which is, you know, sometimes they were dorm rooms and things like that. Sometimes we also stayed in mountain refuges. So there's a whole variety of places that we stayed, but almost all of them served breakfast, which usually wasn't too big. It was coffee and a croissant, which sometimes we would buy a little bit extra to eat a little bit more because we would be hungry. And then we'd stop Again, usually we were sleeping in villages and we would stop at the bakery and buy bread for lunch and cheese and trying to get as many vegetables in as we could, go to the little grocery store and buy tomatoes and cucumbers and carrots and apples and chocolate, of course, and uh, then start walking. And we, yeah, walking, we would walk. Um, once we got into the rolling hills and the mountains, you end up walking uphill first and then you're walking along ridges or different things and stop and have lunch halfway along the way. And we didn't push ourselves. Some days definitely were hard, but we didn't push ourselves. I don't know. We, we always saved enough energy to explore the towns and villages that we were in because part of the whole um, was seeing the culture and getting to know the people and things like that. So that was that was the best part. And then dinner, a later dinner, seven or eight o'clock eating dinner, and then bed, <laughs> reading about the next day and then bed, basically. So that was it. <laughs> That's amazing. And I will say reading the book, I have such an appreciation for the for the love for chocolate and that the chocolate <laughs> yeah. was <laughs> Yes, both Jim and I love chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's, that's so important. And that's another, I mean, you know, Belgium, obviously you have to have, yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, that's, that is incredible. And it is so important to still get to experience the places that you're, that you're seeing rather than just kind of powering through because you, you're going on this adventure because it's something you want to enjoy and you want to learn and grow. And yeah, to, to really get to experience that by getting to know the people. And that was something I really loved in the book was that you guys did run into people from all over Europe, all over the world, people that lived in the town that you had lived in and finding out, you know, we live in such a big world, but it can be so small sometimes too. And connecting with others. I mean, that had to be such a huge part of this journey for you. Yeah, yes. And again, what was neat about it is in the very beginning, the first probably six weeks, we didn't run into that many other walkers. There's not too many people that do the whole trail. Many Europeans do two weeks at a time or three weeks at a time, but there aren't that many people that do the whole trail at one shot. And so we didn't run into, we ran into walkers, day walkers in the beginning. And as it built up more into the summertime, we started at the end of April and then, and so May people, it's still not holiday time. And even June, we did run into walkers in the Vosges mountains and the Jura people starting to do, we ran into other walkers. And it really wasn't until the Alps that we started seeing people day after day. And, and that was really fun to run into people. Um, there's, you know, like a walking culture, similar, I've read books about the Appalachian Trail and the PCT Trail, where people run into each other, and there's the whole community. And, you know, the European walking community, I think is slightly different. It's more older people doing this kind of walking, but still just just as much fun. So yeah, it was great. That's amazing. And you know, something you touched on at the beginning was that you used to teach mindful self-compassion. And I'd love to know how that played into a trip like this, because you are really challenging yourself mentally and physically through something like this. And I'm sure unexpected things pop up. How did the mindful self-compassion play into um, into your journey? Well, so even before I left, I wrote down mindfulness on a piece of in a big on a big piece of paper, and I wrote down self-compassion. I, I wrote down one other thing. I can't remember what the other one was. <laughs> and I physically, well, I took pictures of them and even posted it on Instagram just to show that I was intentionally bringing these mindfulness and self-compassion along with me, even though they didn't weigh anything, they were probably the hardest to use. Because we all know that there's always, yes, unexpected things. You get into town and you and you realize that the hotel that you had booked, you know, is another three or four kilometers across town and maybe even out of town. And so you have another four kilometers that you didn't quite realize that you have to walk to. Or it turns out they're not even serving food, you know, that night. Not That didn't happen too many times, but a few times it did. So I've gotten better and better as I get older and older at using self self-compassion and mindfulness. And so mindfulness, it's basically realizing that, man, this is hard and I'm hangry and uh, I'm tired and I just want to get there. But, and the other thing is you're also dealing with a spouse who you know very well, and it's easy to get mad at them and blame them, but taking a step back and, you know, breathing and giving yourself compassion, which again, is not an easy thing to do. But because I've taught it, it's helped me to bring up this gentle voice with myself and the self 
you give someone compassion and we're all very good at giving other people compassion, but you usually give compassion to someone when they're suffering. So we could say having to walk another unexpected four kilometers is a form of suffering. And so you say, oh, this is hard, Kathy. And you speak to yourself in this tone of voice that at first sounds a little hokey and you're just saying it in your mind, you know, oh, this is hard. You got four more kilometers to go and your feet are tired and you're just acknowledging, you're being like, you're being kind to yourself, acknowledging it, that you're not trying to fix anything or even you could give yourself a little bit of a pep talk, but it's more just acknowledging that you are exhausted and you may be a little bit angry at your spouse or, or whatever. And, but, you know, we're trying to make the best of it and things like that. So that's what mindful self-compassion and yes, I used it many times and there were probably <laughs> other times when I should have been using it too, but that's, that's life. <laughs> you know, I know that sometimes people, whether they go with a spouse or significant other, or they're traveling with a friend or roommate or what have you, spending time in that close proximity for a couple of days, sometimes we can snap and lose patience. So over the course of, you know, 98 days, talk to me about what that was like, you know, as a couple, how just spending that much time together, how you were able to make that work and come out the other side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, one thing that it was kind of interesting. And then about the, by the third day, we had really kind of fallen into a pattern in the morning where we walked separately. Uh, we could always see each other because we didn't want to, you know, lose each other, but we could always see each other, but we walked either, he would walk ahead or I would walk ahead. And whoever, we also had, we had these little things that just sort of came about the person up ahead would be looking for the way markers and look at checking. We used Gaia for our GPS and looking for the signs and things like that. So that person would be paying attention and the other person could just daydream and follow along. So that helped a lot. And then in the afternoon, we tended to talk more and things like that. And we definitely, what, what I found the most interesting is during when we got to Lake Geneva after basically two months of walking together, we had two and a half days off and it it was at that point that we kind of really started arguing and fighting more because I think we had let our guard down when we're out walk when we're out walking and and adventuring you're kind of like a unit and you're watching out for each other and the two of you are taking on the world and you're both helping each other out and you're a team you're a team united but then when we had those two and a half days off it was like we had let down our guard and simple little things were driving each other. We were driving each other crazy. <laughs> so yeah. And luckily I, and humor, Jim is, my husband is very good at using humor and I, you know, once he brings up the humor, then I can dive into it too. So that helps. Absolutely. I'd also love to know for something like this, and now you experienced this at the beginning of the trip, getting sick. What are your tips for someone doing a trip like this to take care of themselves and to know when it's time to slow down or take that break? Or really just how do we really do that when we're when we're in a state of, you know, you're you're traveling throughout the trip, you're not in that one place. Yeah. Well, obviously I did it. I didn't do it wrong, but I, I kept trying, I kept pushing and thinking, 
Well, my excitement for the trip kept me going and I would sort of push through my sickness. I got, I think I basically caught something on the plane and because we were go, go, go and I was excited and I wasn't sleeping because again, I was wound up, but I was really just so excited about the trip. So I think it's being able to, again, their mindfulness, realizing, oh, maybe I just need to calm myself down a little bit more and pay attention to the signs that my body is telling me and, and stop a little soon. You know, I probably should have stopped five days before, but I kept pushing and thinking I would get better. So yeah, listening, listening to your body. And in some ways, I think having that experience happen in the beginning of the trip really helped me pay attention the rest of the trip to my body and not pushing and following along and finding your own strength and your own pace and things like that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So with that too, as you're going through a journey like this where you are stopping in different places and there there is an end destination in sight, but you have a lot of stops along the way, how do you plan for something like that? And how do you know where you're going to stay and where you're going to be on what day? Like I, I'm sure there's plenty of planning at the front end before the, before the walk even starts, but what did that look like? How, did that change a lot on your path? Or were there any surprises that came up? Yes. In the very beginning, because it was May, things weren't, um, hotels weren't busy. So we could, we booked out maybe two or three days ahead. But we also realized they, there's a lot of different holidays and you had to pay attention to different holidays, um, long weekends that we didn't really know about until it happened, then we'd realize, oh, it's hard to find a, a hotel for that for that night. So most of the time, so in the beginning, we did that. As it got more into June and July, we started, we spent some of our days off. So about once every, once a week or once every 10 days, we took a day off and rested our bodies. And that was the time that we would make reservations ahead of time. And by the time we got to the Alps, we had made sort of reservations almost three weeks ahead of time. But we all we did know our pace. So that was good, because it would have been a pain to re-change all of our reservations. It, it's really hard to know. I, I know some people like to be more spontaneous and make the reservations even that morning, you know, I will make it, you know, I want to walk this far, but both Jim and I are happy to know exactly where we're going to end up and not spend time looking for a place to stay when you get into a village. So yes, it was a, it was a huge learning curve. We got better. It certainly helps these days with email and WhatsApp. And we actually started asking, you know, again, more of the, what we asked the Dutch woman and she shared a whole website that about all the different place um, hotels that are on along the GR5. It was all in Dutch, but we could figure it out. So yeah, we learned along the way. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think that's so important too, just to, you know, you have the flexibility, but at the same time, you're, I don't know, for me, I really do like to have at least somewhat of a plan, but knowing mm -hmm. that the plan can change, especially with something like this, where yeah, you do have holiday. I mean, um, 
yeah, it's almost at the time of recording, it's almost Bastille Day. And I'm sure, you know, you know, certainly having to deal with any kind of holiday travel, traffic, crowds, things like that. I mean, that can definitely like so having some of that plan ahead of time, but being able to learn and having some of that flexibility, because then you did have some places that you got to stay where you met really incredible people and had these impactful conversations. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was the one where we couldn't find a place to stay. And eventually it it took a while. Eventually they, somebody who used to own an auberge put us up for the night. So it was a, it was a couple that, you know, it was just their house. And at that point, we also didn't even know whether they were going to serve us dinner or whether we should just bring extra cheese and bread. So yeah, it's all a surprise. (laughs) Much of it is a surprise. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, I guess, you know, it's 98 days, so I'm sure there are plenty, but what would you say were some of the highlights in terms of the the places you went and what, what you saw during that time? Let's see, definitely the cultural sites. So the GR5, my understanding of the way the trail, it's it's constant, the trail is constantly changing and different organizations in the different parts of France um, reroute it in different ways over the years. And it definitely goes by a lot of different cultural sites, castles, rundown castles, um, World War II and World War I relics. And even uh, uh, we walked by two, uh, a World War I cemetery that I actually didn't write about in the book. I was, it was so moving. I just couldn't, it was hard, to, it was hard to write about it. And uh, the World War II cemetery is a smaller one. And you just realize you learn so much of the history by walking through these. We walked also by a convent that had a long history. And so the history and the culture was really, was really neat that the GR5 led you right by. It was pretty neat. Let's see what else. Well, the food, I've talked about that a little bit, um, was pretty amazing. And then I I haven't really, the Alps at the end were, you know, the wildflowers, the snow was melting up high, the wildflowers were spectacular. You know, you felt like you were walking through, um, you know, the Julie Andrews was going to come around the corner and felt like the sound of music. It was just you know, spectacular scenery. And we we kind of lucked out in weather. We didn't get any of those heat waves that much of Europe has gotten over the last couple of years. And I think this summer right now, I think they're in a heat wave. So we were really lucky. We finished August 1st. So we, we missed the heat waves and we had some rain, but nothing terrible. So I, the Alps are just spectacular. If you ever have a chance, go walk in the Alps. You can do it for a week, you know. Uh, I mean, obviously you have to get in shape, but, uh, you know, spectacular. That's amazing. And I mean, what, it, what an incredible destination to to end at. It's, it's such a beautiful place. And to get there and to, I mean, the wildflowers, that has to be just so, so beautiful. But I, I think that's such an incredible journey, again, the, uh, and really getting to know a country by and a continent by so many different things, because you're experiencing the nature, but you are experiencing the culture and the history and seeing everything from that different perspective something that you might not get off of a tour bus or mm-hmm. you know flying into one particular airport you really get to see so much more yeah yeah exactly yeah now something that you talk about in the book when there was a mantra that you repeated to yourself this is something i struggle with a lot but one day at a time 
And I would imagine we have about 85, 90% of our listeners are female. So we are juggling so many different things. And I think a lot of us and and the men listening to will struggle with this, but a lot of us struggle with that one day at a time mentality. How did you start to embody that? And how can we all embody that more in our lives? Yeah, that's a great question. What I noticed was that I really wasn't thinking about, you know, what was too, too many days ahead because I would just worry. And I, I'm not sure whether I noticed it more because I was walking and, you know, you're just really more in tune with your body. But I did notice that if I thought too far ahead, I would get depressed and worried and and it just wasn't worth it. So, you know, I, I knew enough about mindfulness to say, all right, we're just not going to worry about that. We're going to do. And I did use it as a mantra as I walk one, one day at a time. And I even shifted it to one step at a time, some of the time, especially when we were climbing, you know, just one step at a time, one step at a time. And let's see, how would you do, you know, again, it all comes down to mindfulness. I would say if you're either busy with your kids or busy with, you know, work, make your list. Yes, you have to think ahead, obviously, in work or dealing with kids, you have to plan things out. But make your list and then whatever you decide to do, work on that task and stay focused. And if you notice that your mind is beginning to worry about the future or uh, you're worried about the past or something like that, then again, using mindfulness, ooh, look at that, I'm, wor- <laughs> I'm worrying. And, and don't beat yourself up, which again, all this stuff, it, it takes time, it takes practice to not notice that critical voice of, oh, you're, look at, you're, you're worrying again, stop worrying. Well, that's not going to help. You have to do it with a gentle voice and bring in some self-compassion. I don't know, maybe put your hand on your heart and just say, ooh, look at that. You know, it's not worth worrying right now. Let's just focus on this task and work on this task. And it's a practice, you know, well, we all... <laughs> You know, we're human. <laughs> we do the best we can. So that's that's what I would say. And I do, I really do believe in mantras. Find the thing that helps you and write it down on a card and take it with you on a walk and keep repeating it. And then you can notice that maybe it'll help you when you're actually working and things like that. Does that make sense? Does that? I love that. Yeah. Because I, I do think you're so right that that critical voice pops up so often when we're doing something with the best of intentions. Mm-hmm. And it's so counterintuitive that, I mean, I've definitely said something not so nice to myself and then I'm criticizing my, like, that's so stupid. That's horrible that you would say that to yourself. Like, and <laughs> you're, you're then criticizing and I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. Like, yeah. you're being so mean. And it's like, okay, well, maybe there's a better way to, to deal with that and to notice and, yeah, and to care for ourselves yeah. and to... Yeah. Yeah. So I I really do think that's so important. And I would imagine, you know, you learn a lot in nature and like any time that you're challenging yourself, challenging your body, any of that. I'd love to know what you learned about you when you were, when you were on this trip. Well, I definitely learned that I'm strong and I sort of, I called it a it's a wise strength. You, you know how um, many languages have many different, we need more words for strong because, you know, strong has this, it has many different connotations, but we need some more words. I call it wise strength. So 
you know, knowing your pace and following your own pace and figuring out what your pace, I figured out what my pace was to walk all day and to walk day after day after day. And um, again, listening, you know, listening to your body. I listened to my body and knew when to slow down and also to really be joyous of the pace that you have and the strength that you have, because we all are stronger than we think. We really are. And the other thing that I noticed, this is kind of a cool thing. I noticed when I walked uphill, I would get like more ideas in my head. And um, one of the things I was doing as I was, I made some short, I made some videos. I tried to make one YouTube video once every two weeks about the trip. And I noticed I would get more ideas and I would um, make the videos as I was walking along. And I called them breathless Kathy videos because I was breathing. Of course, I'm breathing hard as I'm walking uphill, but I, that's when I was getting my ideas. So yeah, I mean, there was so much that I learned about myself, but those were those were the ones. I think that that's amazing. And I really think that listening to your body is something that we don't do enough of. I think so many of us are of that power through mentality and then you're sore, you're sick, you're whatever it is because we didn't and then maybe we don't want to do the thing again. When if we were to listen to ourselves and know where we need to stop and how we can pace ourselves, that we would still be able to enjoy it and experience it even more. And I'm definitely going to have to try that walking uphill, see if that does anything for my creative juices. I'm in the state of Florida, which is very, very flat, but oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't get to experience, you know, my, my hikes are really just very flat walks, but <laughs> At the same time, you know, there are some hilly areas, so I totally want to try that and see if uh, if the uphill does anything for for my state of mind. But that's that's so cool. And for those who are listening who either don't have a lot of experience hiking, maybe they have no experience hiking, what tips do you have for them to maybe not necessarily start with, you know, a 98-day, 1,400-mile <laughs> trek, but for getting into hiking and experiencing nature in this way and exerting themselves in a way that they haven't, where do we start? Definitely start slow, you know, or in short, pick ones that you know, you know, you can do. And, and it obviously it depends where you are in the country or the world, you know, you'll have to all trails, there's a lot of different apps that give suggestions and things like that, that you can find. So definitely start out small and might as well do well. And then you're then you'll want to do it again. And it is important to have a first aid kit depend, you know, especially if you're going out all day long, if you're just going for an hour walk, you don't need your first First aid kit, but for an all-day hike, you definitely need a first aid kit. You need warm clothes, clothes that that'll keep the rain or the snow off, depending. Water, food, some way, um, some way to communicate people with, and a map. You know, some sort of map, either on an iPhone, GPS, or something like that. And then the most important thing is to make sure your shoes. You've broken in your shoe. Well, that's how you get better at hiking is breaking in your shoes because you really, you know, blisters are a pain in the neck. And Jim and I were very good about taking care of our feet in the very beginning so that we did not get blisters. And we had used our shoes, our walking shoes a lot before. So we knew what worked. And I I would say go with a friend too. It's much more fun. A couple of friends there. And I'm sure there are many places also have white uh, walking groups. 
Yeah, I've definitely seen, especially in a lot of cities, like some of the larger areas, I've seen that. And I think the shoes, I've ruined many a trip, some of my shorter trips, even city walking, because I decided to wear dumb shoes on an early day because it looked great for Instagram. And (laughs) the blisters are pretty miserable. And so I don't joke around with my shoes anymore. I will wear whatever is comfortable. Yeah. And socks too, the socks to match. I'm I'm a big believer in double socks. You have thin layer and then a heavier layer because then the friction is between the two pairs of socks instead of your skin and the socks. So that works out well. Yeah, that's huge. I'd also I'd love to know for now for this trip because I truly admire the minimalism. I strive to be a minimalist, but just looking in my space right now as we speak, it's maybe not quite there, but I'd love to know for a trip like this, I I mean, I pack an insane amount of stuff for a weekend. How do you pack for something like this that you're going to be carrying with you? And what are the essentials of a trip of this magnitude? So we had the walking clothes that we wore, um, you know, short shirt, sports bra, underwear. I had four pairs of underwear, I think, one wearing one um, and one other sports bra. Uh, we, we called them our evening clothes. So we had one set of clothes to wear and we wore the same thing every night. <laughs> you know, I had one skirt, one shirt, uh, one nice shirt and a sweater. So it, you always could put on, called it our evening wear. And then we also had, you know, obviously a pair of long pants in case it was raining or cold. One pair of, I call it long winter, uh, long winter underwear, um, because through the Alps, it was cold. We had a light hat, light gloves. What else did we have? Uh, you know, raincoat, rain pants. I think we had four pairs of socks. Well, the thin, two pairs of thin, two pairs of heavy, and then uh, socks for the, again, evening wear socks, because it's nice to put on a different kind of sock. <laughs> and we brought too much in the beginning and we kept leaving things along the way because we try we got our packs got lighter and lighter as we got went along um, because we it was much nicer to have a lighter a lighter pack I, I keep meaning to do a Pinterest post of our list of what we carried but yeah you want to go as light as possible because you're and I, I used walking poles Jim didn't use he eventually bought walking poles in the Alps just to do something different, but I used them definitely on the downhill because I had had a knee issues and I liked them on the downhill. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's so important. And yeah, I would definitely love to see that packing list for sure. I love the I love the evening wear there too. But yeah, and I, I was laughing at the beginning of the book. I think it was was it a camera tripod that you yes. left it one and then and they followed you and brought it back to you. <laughs> yeah. I still have that because I feel like I I couldn't get rid of it after I tried to and then just yeah. came back to me. They're all too nice. They, yeah. they look after you. I had not put a note. I got better at putting it if we wanted to leave things I would uh, you, we use Google Translate a lot because our our French was not all that good and I would write a note and put we're leaving this and hopefully it finds a good home but yes we we got lighter and lighter oh I'm sure <laughs> 
And any other tips for preparing for a trip like this that anyone should know, whether it's for, you know, 98 days or whether they're doing maybe a week or two weeks of maybe a shorter leg of the GR5 or of another type of trail or anything like that? This is not, I'm not sponsored by these people. uh, Cicerone Press is a British press that prints guidebooks. And if you go on their website, it's just wonderful because you get so excited. They have guidebooks, you know, all over Europe, um, all over the world, not not necessarily the U.S. And some of them are day hikes. Some of them are week long. It's a great place to get excited of places to go. You know, obviously get in shape, keep talking to people, too. And the other thing I found is once I had guidebooks or if I found blogs about the walk, you know, just email people, the writers, they're all, all happy to answer any questions you have. I found the walking community so helpful that I've become good friends. I've never met them in person, but, you know, with some of the, one of the person that wrote one of the guidebooks. So yeah, people are very helpful. Reach out, ask questions. It's helpful. It's helpful to read blogs, just Google blogs about certain walks. And um, because blogs are also a little more interesting, you know, a guidebook tells you how far from one place to the other, it tells you where there's food and things like that, and water. But it doesn't tell you sort of the emotional <laughs> part of it. And, and blogs help you with that, like, oh, that, you know, that was a ton of road walking, <laughs> and that, you know, that kind of thing. So blogs are much more or books and read my book, and then you can go off and do the GR5. <laughs> yes. Yes. And your book is truly amazing. And I definitely am going to ask a little more about the book as well, because I think that, again, first of all, the book the book is now out when, when the listeners are tuning in so they can, um, they don't even have to pre-order. They can, they can go ahead and order, but I would love to dive in a little bit more to, in general, what inspired you to then write the book when you, when you got back? Um, It was interesting. So moving up to Vermont, I kept trying to restart my business and it just wasn't working. I would offer, I would offer workshops and I'd get two or three people in there and I'd realize it was the wrong time. And it just wasn't working. And I was, I think I was really sad. I missed the GR5. I missed the walk. And so I realized I was thinking about it so much and I have I, you know, I think there was a little pebble of thought in my mind. I always wanted to write a book and I have written, you know, I wrote blogs for my business and things like that, but I, I actually have dyslexia. So I didn't learn to read until seventh grade and writing has always been a struggle, but I have now I've gotten to be a pretty good writer and I have was in a writing group and I like, I'm just going to write this. That's, I'm going to spend my time writing it. And it kind of worked out because then COVID came and what else is there to do but sit and write <laughs> during COVID. So that worked out well. And I didn't find a traditional publisher. I ended up with She Writes Press, which is a hybrid publisher. And it's been wonderful. It's it's a great press and they're very supportive of new writers. And it's I've gotten to know so many other authors through them. And it's it's been great. It's 
been really wonderful. That's amazing. I mean, what a great way to create even more community. And I think it's so inspiring that not only did you walk the GR5 and do this thing that most people have never done it to its full capacity or even parts of, you know, and so you're getting to share this really unique experience and empower others to to do the same, but you're also getting to connect with other writers and they're sharing their own stories and, and be able to empower each other in that way. And so I think, you know, that really is inspiring. It's, it's an amazing book and I highly encourage the listeners to read it and to check it out because, you know, as somebody who was not familiar with the GR5 before, I mean, I am so amazed by everything that you've got to do there. Yeah, it's, I, I, I do hope people will read it and, and then go off and walk, you know, a week or two weeks or three weeks, whatever you, whatever you can, because walking is just such a great way to vacation. I call it, you know, it's called in your, uh, Italy, I think they call it slow travel. It's the whole idea of going at a human pace. And um, instead of running around from six countries in six days, you're just specializing in one little corner of a country, but really getting to know it really well. So I highly recommend it. And it's definitely costs money to get there. But once you're there, it's not much more than living expenses at home. And we were very lucky and fortunate, privileged to be able to go off for such a long time. I do acknowledge that. Well, it's truly amazing. And again, just so inspiring. I'd love to ask you as well, we have some rapid fire questions that we have all of our guests answer on the show, just so we can get to know you more. Um, May I ask you some rapid fires? Sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, my first one for you, and this may have been part of your journey. It may be something that you do more at home, but what would you say is your favorite self-care practice right now? Let's see. I think it would be um, just writing a little bit every day, even if it's just three sentences. To me, it helps me it helps ground me and it helps me. I tend to write about my emotions, what I'm feeling right now, or just what what I'm doing. And it, it just helps me, grounds me for the day. So just a little bit of writing, even it, it doesn't have to be flowery. It's just getting it down on the page. So that's, that's what works for me these days. I love that. I think that's such a great way to move that energy and it gets mm-hmm. the creative, it gets your creativity flowing. It just, or it can, you know, there's so much that, that can come from that. So I, I love that practice. Now, if you had a one word theme for whether it's this year, this time in life, what would your one word theme be? Oh, that's, that's easy. My one word theme for this year, I, I, I like picking a one word theme is collaboration. And for me, it's more fun to do things with other people. You just learn so much more. And so here, you know, we're collaborating right now. We're exactly. Um, so yeah, I love collaboration. That's, that's my word for the, for the year. I love that. It's it's funny you say that because on the podcasting side for me, I know that when I first started, I thought it would be maybe half solos, half interviews and the collaborative aspect with the interviews. I mean, I don't remember the last time I did a solo episode. I love getting to actually talk to people. It's so much more fun. I feel I feel kind of awkward just talking to my microphone on my own. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. I love I love the idea of that collaboration as that theme though. That's that's awesome. And what are you most looking forward to right now? 
Oh, definitely bringing my book out into the world. I'm really looking forward to the book events. I'm so glad COVID's over and I'm (laughs) really glad to be able to do book events and, and meet you know, meet people at the events and talk about walking and things like that. So I think that's definitely, that's definitely what I'm excited for. Well, it's huge. And do you have any other adventures or any travels planned in the coming months or anything on the horizon right now? Um, well, this year, it's, I've told Jim that, it, you know, I'm focusing on the book and things like yeah. that. Uh, our kids live in Denver. So we're going to go out there and do some book events there. Um, so some of the traveling is to do with book events. We don't have any big, big trips planned right now. But, you know, someday in the future, I'd love to go, we'd like to go down to Patagonia sometime and, and hike there. Japan is on the list. I don't, you know, we have, we have a long list. Um, But we'll see if we ever, you know, if and when we get to them. Right now, it's, you know, more local travel. Sure. Well, I do think that the book, I mean, a book launch is a pretty grand adventure as well. Yes, it's something yes. certainly on my bucket list. And so <laughs> I'm really excited for you to to be bringing this book out into the world and get to get to share. And how can listeners connect with you? How can listeners find the book? What all should they know if they want to learn more? Well, my website is Kathy Elkind, E-L-K-I-N-D, Kathy with a K, dot com. And um, you can find my book anywhere. Uh, you know, I promote uh, independent bookstores. I'm a big proponent of independent bookstores. So f- go to your local bookstore and a- if they don't have it, ask them to order it and ask them to stock it. <laughs> or Barnes and Nobles and Amazon also have it. Any place you get books, you should you, you should be able to get it. And on my website also are some events I'll be speaking around in September and October around New England. I'll have more up soon too. And so, and I'll be in California. So I have, you know, a couple events listed on the website. So that's, yeah, that's about it. And uh, you know what, I would really appreciate it. If you read it and you love it, please tell a friend. What, what I've been told is that the way books, it's still word of mouth. So if you read it and love it, please pass it on to it. Tell, tell a friend. And I will thank you from the bottom of my heart. Well, that sounds awesome. And I will definitely be sharing this with my friends. And, you know, hey, for those that who those who use Goodreads, share on Goodreads as mm-hmm. well. Get your get your yeah. reviews out there. That is so huge. I absolutely love that. And that has given me a lot of ideas for what I'm going to read, even if a friend hasn't actually mentioned the book to me, but I see that they posted that they just read something and they gave it five stars. I think, okay, well, she's a pretty cool person and she likes this book. So I think I'm going to, I'm going to check it out and try to learn a little more. And I think, you know, yeah, anything we can do to support and it really is a fantastic book. So I encourage listeners, um, check it out and let us know what you think. And Kathy, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, for sharing this amazing journey with us. It makes me want to take a walk and, you know, start to build up my own endurance so that I could go on an adventure of my own. But I want to, yeah, thank you for empowering your readers and for sharing such incredible wisdom with us and sharing such a cool adventure with us. Well, thank you, Valerie. I've really, it's, it's been a lot of fun to talk about it and talk with you and thank you for sharing. What an incredible conversation with Kathy. I loved reading her book, To Walk It Is To See It, 
and enjoyed following along on Kathy and Jim's adventures across the GR5. The book has so many fascinating takeaways and excellent tips for anyone looking to take on a grand trip of their own and I was truly inspired by their story. The book is out now everywhere books are sold, so make sure you order a copy for yourself to learn more. Leave a review online. It helps authors to get the word out about their books, and I have linked everything in the show notes as well, but truly an amazing book and a fascinating conversation. As always, I want to thank you for joining me here today. If you have any questions or suggestions for the show, you can drop me a line at Valerie, V-A-L-E-R-I-E, at wellnessandwanderlust.net or at wellnessandwanderlust blog on Instagram. If this episode resonated with you, consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcast app. I appreciate each and every one of you for being a part of this incredible community, and I cannot wait to see you next time.